You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 931 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Monday evening into Tuesday. And today's show is brought to you by rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. Visit rockauto.com and tell them Locked On sent you. Today's pod will be about, at least mostly about, the Hawks losing to the Knicks this evening by a final score of 123 to 112. Plenty to get to from this game. Another frustrating one, obviously, for Atlanta. I know fans are not pleased, and I cannot blame you. Anytime you lose seven out of the last eight games, even if there are reasons behind it, it is not easy to take, and I definitely sense that frustration, and it is certainly noted in a lot of ways. So 11-16 and 16 now for the Hawks. That's the top-line thought of this particular episode. But as always, we will go in with some nuance and discuss what transpired and try to provide uh, some takeaways for the future. So thank you as always for joining us on the podcast, and we will dive in now to the game. So coming into the game, the Hawks were down the same five guys that they were down on Saturday and the same four that have been out for even longer than that. No DeAndre Hunter, no Bogdan Modanovic, no Tony Snell in this game. He was, he was the fifth that was the late scratch. Also no Rondo and no Chris Dunn. So again, the Hawks very shorthanded on the perimeter. Um, on the bright side, Trey Young was not on the injury report. I thought he might be based on the uh, the hand wrap that he was wearing at the end of the game on Saturday. He had some pain there, but it looks like that's not going to be an issue long term, which is good to see. He played in this game. And then the Knicks were without Mitchell Robinson as well. Coming into the game, the Hawks were a small favorite, according to our friends at BetOnline.ag. The Hawks were about a one or one and a half point favorite, depending on when you looked. So kind of a coin flip game in a lot of ways. But even on the road, the Hawks are the more talented team, I would say. Um, with that said, the, the gap is much smaller without Hunter and Bogdanovich. In fact, it probably isn't even uh, non-existent. But the Knicks are a pretty well-coached team and all that stuff, and they played well in this game. Obviously, Julius Randle went crazy, as we'll get to uh, momentarily. But that, that was sort of the coming into the game viewpoint at the outset, the Hawks dug a hole, and honestly, um, from that point forward, they played, and they were the, probably the better team, but it all, it all it all counts. So a 16-5 to run by the Knicks to start the game. The Hawks missed their first three shots, and the Knicks got, were red hot coming out of the gates as that continued the entire game. In fact, New York hit three consecutive threes in 48 seconds, including two by Julius Randle, who was, again, uh, unconscious in this game. The Hawks did battle back from there with an 11-4 run of their own to kind of hang around, hang around, hang around in the first quarter. They went to Skylar Mays first as the backup point guard. In fact, he played the entire backup point guard minutes in this game. The Hawks were very, very short rotationally. Not a huge surprise, but they only played nine guys in the entire game and only eight in the second half as a Kongwu played only briefly before halftime. No Brandon Goodwin in this game, no Fernando, no Knight, and that's uh, interesting to certainly point out um, as the Hawks are so shorthanded uh, overall in this game. But... Um, Mays actually kept the Hawks alive for a minute in the first quarter with three straight buckets, including a couple of jump shots. So he played um, reasonably well, flashed a couple things throughout the game. Randall was going nuts on his own, though. He had 17 points on eight shots in the first 10 minutes to kind of give the Knicks that cushion that they used for a lot of the night. The Hawks played pretty well on offense in the first quarter, as they did the entire game, honestly, and scored almost 1.2 points per possession, but it wasn't enough. Uh, despite a circus shot by Trey Young late to cut the lead down to 11, the defense allowed more than 1.6 points per possession in the first quarter, which, you know, no matter how bad your defense is, even if, and I didn't think it was that bad for most of this game, regardless, even if you were basically not trying at all, the opponent is not going to shoot that well, mostly, in the NBA, and that just happened in the first quarter. The Knicks shot 15-22 from the floor and 6-8 from three before uh, before the before they turned this to the second quarter. In fact, Obi Toppin, their rookie lottery pick, 
hit a three that was actually waved off after the buzzer. That would have been our seventh three of the first half. <laughs> Sorry, first quarter, and it didn't go. Uh, I, I, I actually, it went in, it just didn't count. Regardless, the um, Hawks were bludgeoned by three point shooting in this game. And coming into the night, the Knicks were 29th in the league in three pointers per game. They made 9.8 per game for the season. Uh, in this game, they almost doubled that with 17, and uh, they're also 23rd in percentage coming into the coming into the night, and they're 50% from three, which would be obviously first by leaps and bounds. So that's the story of the night in a lot of ways. But we'll come back to that later on. In the second quarter, um, they actually took a, they took Trey out out of the game early in the first quarter. I thought, which was interesting, a slight tweak to the rotation, which I didn't mind. He still played a ton of minutes in this game, um, and I mean they need him to play as much as possible. He played 40 minutes. Can't really complain about him t- coming out of the game at various times, but. They got him back into the game late for offense at the end of the first quarter, which is a nice little sneaky move on an offense-only possession, essentially. And then they started him back in the uh, back on the floor in the second quarter alongside Mays for a little while. Hawks got it down to three on a tip-in by John Collins after they were kind of getting it going a little bit. The Knicks did push back up into almost double digits at one point. There was a brutal sequence for Cam Reddish that I wanted to point out. I tweeted about this as well, but he passed on a three drove into Julius Randle, didn't even get the shot up above him, and then he fouled on the other end of the floor. That was a a rough one for Cam. He was not the only one, but that was one that was uh, sort of hard in the eyes. He did make a pull-up three before that, so that's worth noting, but he was uh, he struggled in this game as an offensive entity, to be sure. There was a nice hit-ahead pass by Kevin Herter that I wanted to make note of. Also, that, that got some free throws for Trey Young. And the overall takeaway in the second quarter was the Hawks got to the line, and they took advantage big time of the Knicks being in the bonus throughout the entire second quarter. Um, and that was a good job ramping up activity-wise. The Hawks were very active in the second quarter on both ends of the floor, and that definitely benefited them at the end. Gallinari hit a three, cut the lead down to one at one point, but it is actually sort of settled at three with the Hawks down by three. And after being down by 14 early in the game, being down three at the half is a win, all things considered. Uh, there was an excruciating misrebound by Gallinari, uh, who defensively and rebounding-wise are, is still struggling pretty mightily. That led to two points for the Knicks. That was the frustrating one that I wanted to point out as well. But overall, offensively, the Hawks played very well before halftime. They took 25, 25 free throws, including 17 in the second quarter, which is a just an exorbitant amount of free throws in a quarter. Trey had 16 points in the first half. Collins had 12. Um, Gallinari had 11. Um, and then, by the way, after halftime, Trey only had 7, and Collins was a little bit colder as well uh, with some smaller usage. But they still allowed a big-time number defensively in the first half, but they did hold the Knicks to 7-19 shooting in the second quarter alone. That was kind of their only bad shooting quarter of the game for the Knicks, and that ended up um, allowing the Hawks to climb back into the game. And <laughs> we'll come back to this later on, but this is a, this was a theme throughout. The Knicks only had 14 points in the paint in the first half, which is an exceedingly low number for a team like the Knicks who really relies on points in the paint, and they still score, they still scored 66 points before halftime because they just made every jump shot throughout the entire game. Um, before we get into the second half and uh, much to talk about with the second half and some takeaways, etc., a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first of which is rockauto.com. With more makes and models than ever, it's now impossible to stock all of the auto parts that you need in your traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure questioning from a counter person that's often totally pointless, especially when they were only going to give you the parts or the brands that the warehouse happens to carry? Instead, you have rockauto.com, either at home or in your pocket, and that is the best possible option. Rockauto.com is a family business serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. 
Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always super low, and the same for pros and newer sellers, so why spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or your truck, and from there you want to write locked on in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. All right, we'll dive into the second half now, and the beginning of the third quarter and the second quarter, so that, that like 18-minute stretch was the best of the game for the Hawks, obviously, and at the outset of the third quarter, it was going really well for the Hawks. And the fact they were favored in the betting market for a lot of that stretch. Um, a nice finish by my right on the first possession with his left hand. They kick out pass to Collins for a three, give the Hawks the lead after they had after they had trailed basically the entire game to that point. And then after a couple empty trips, Capella gets a follow-up layup to force the next timeout. And then after the timeout, Young finds Collins on an out-of-bounds play for a dunk to push the start up to a 9-0 run, give the Hawks a six-point lead. So it went from down 14 early to up six early in the third quarter. A heck of a push there. Uh, of course, right on cue, Julius Randle hits back-to-back threes once again. That prompted a quick timeout from Lloyd Pierce, which I thought was a good one because they were, uh, you know, the, it was sort of wavering at that point in time. They did um, get an excellent ATO to get Kevin Herter going downhill for a three-point play. That was a good one, and the Hawks were actually good out of out of out of bounds plays the entire game in this spot. They went back to Mays early on in the third quarter, which was noteworthy to me, um, but still stayed with that short rotation. And they seemingly tried to have Gallinari out there with Noel um, for the Knicks. That makes some sense because he has to have somebody to guard. That didn't necessarily work perfectly, but it was probably what I would have done as well, try to pair Gallinari with someone he can play defense on. And then a very, very short rest by Trey Young in the third quarter. They had one more in the fourth as well, trying to get him a little quick burst and try to avoid that uh, the, the onslaught when he comes out of the game. But still, the big run was coming for the Knicks. It was 15-2. to two by New York to go from down, you know, down six or seven to up six at that point in time. It started before Trey rested. It went through it went through Trey's rest and then back after he came back in the game. So it was not exactly just a linear, you know, Trey sits and the barrage comes. It was already happening. It continued while he was sitting and then it continued after he came back in. So he actually created an open three for Hill after he came back in that Solomon Hill just missed. And the next possession was an air ball three by Trey. So that kind of let the um, things go snowball a little bit, a little bit beyond that, I will say. But the Knicks go, again, down, down seven, up six, and that was a big swing in the game. It did stabilize from there. Trey hit two floaters in a row. The only ones he th- I think he made the entire game. He was really struggling with his floater throughout this contest. But he made two in a row there late in the third to keep things manageable. They're only down five, the Hawks were, at the end of the third quarter. That felt worse than that because they were leading by six or seven at one point in the third. But um, still, they only lost the quarter by two points. It wasn't a disaster, but just kind of felt a little bit shaky at that point in time. Then in the fourth, they still played pretty pretty decently at the outset. It was a big three by Skylar Mays early in the fourth quarter, and then Gallo hit one to get back within three. That that brought Young and Capella back in with about 10 minutes to go, and they were probably in decent shape there. Um, Gallinari got bowled over by Randall with about nine minutes to go. It was called a foul immediately on Gallinari. He was irate. He doesn't usually get that mad. He was very mad in that, in that moment. He popped up to, gri- to gripe to the official. Pierce challenged it. Um, that was a pretty bad challenge. I don't, I don't think it was like absolutely ridiculously terrible, but it was one that I did not like in the moment. It's one of those, it's sort of the same theme actually, is that I thought it was the wrong call on the court. I still do think it was probably a foul on Randall or a no call but you're not going to win that one necessarily, and they didn't. So similar to previous ones, I don't like, you know, I don't always want to go crazy on this, but I think it was a bad challenge, and it ended up not working out for them. Um, later on, the Knicks kind of kept coming offensively, quickly hit a three to go up by four, and then uh, one of the themes of that as well was that Herder and Reddish both missed threes in a row there. Herder almost turned it over on a sort of inexplicable play. He had a contest coming from Noel across the lane, but it was one he just has to shoot that ball at the rim. I don't want to p- point out too much here, but that was a shaky play by Herder at the very, very least. They played the starters down the stretch. That was the right call um, with Gallinari playing the way that he was. 
And the offense is really stalled on both sides for, for a while in the fourth quarter, which is contrary to the rest of the game. But it was pretty brutal for a little bit. About three-minute stretch, they only had two total points. And, uh, yeah, the last play before a timeout, Trey missed a point-blank a point floater that he, he probably needs to make most of the time. And then Rez turned it over on the baseline. That was shaky, um, quite obviously. And then they gave up an open three to Barrett out of the timeout. That was probably one of their worst breakdowns defensively of the entire game. It was that late. Uh, it wasn't that late. It was like, you know, four and a half minutes to go or so. But Barrett's not a great shooter, but that was a wide open catch and shoot that he's going to make a lot of the time. So that was a bad defensive play for Atlanta. And that puts them down by five with five to go. They do get back to the, get back to the game with a putback from Capella, back within three. And then after a long delay for a shot clock malfunction, um, Randall answers again with a bucket to go back up by five. Um, there was a weird possession next, but um, Herter managed to keep his composure, probably had his best play of the day. He had a, a, nice, a nice up fake and then buries a three to cut the lead to two. That was a big shot I noted in the moment. But of course, within 10 seconds, Randall hits his seventh three of the game after a long possession. Good defense too by the Hawks the entire trip, but he makes the three. Um, again, to put the Hawks down by five with five, with 3.30 to go, I should say. They call timeout. After the timeout, they got a good ATO again, but Young tries to lob it to Capella. It gets broken up at the rim. That's a turnover for the Hawks. They actually get a turnover defensively, but then Reddish misses a, a pretty easy, not like wide open, but a easy catch and shoot three that he misses pretty badly from the right wing. And then on cue, Barrett hits one. That's probably a similar quality shot. Uh, one misses from the Hawks, one, miss, one make for the Knicks. Theme of the game. And that goes from two to eight, potentially a six-point swing in uh, in lightning speed, we'll say. Then from there, Reddish did, did score on the next play to get it back to six, so it was not over. But then uh, <laughs> probably the funniest shot of the game, just objectively, as a uh, as an impartial observer, Randall hitting a comical jumper over the backboard where he was like almost out of bounds on the, on the right side. Uh, he was just in his zone the entire game, and he makes that one. That probably ended the game. They did hit a three. Reddish did at the next play to get back within five. But the, the Hawks then tried to scramble, get a turnover. They lost containment, got a lob, got a dunk, and then Herder missed a three. They basically ended it, and uh, it went on to lose by 11. So, a lot to get to here. Obviously, you as you have watched this game, probably, you would probably know. But if you didn't watch the game, I'll try to summarize for you in some respects here. Um, first and foremost, this is a defensive loss. Um, at least defensive end of the floor. Offensively, the Hawks did plenty in this game. We'll come back to some uh, other stuff offensively, but on the whole, the Hawks had a 119-ish offensive rating, which is way better than you would think. The Knicks are pretty good defensively, and the Hawks make them look not pretty good defensively in this game. Um, The Hawks didn't shoot the ball incredibly well. They missed 22 of their 33 threes, so they shot below average on twos. And threes. I got to the line, though, 32 times, made 29 of them. That was probably the biggest reason why the Hawks performed well offensively in this game. A lot of that was Trey and then some Reddish and Gallinari. But overall, objectively, it was a slow-paced game, but the Hawks played quite well efficiency-wise offensively. They did more than enough to win offensively. Now, to the defense. Uh, Actually, let's go to the offense first. We'll stay there. Um, Young and Collins combined to not score in the fourth quarter. That was a big talking point after the game, and I totally understand why. Um, they, they were 0-5 combined from the floor in the fourth, and the, the one shot by Collins was like pretty much when the game was already over. They did not get they did not get John involved enough in the fourth quarter, point blank. Now, that's one of the knocks on John is that he's not necessarily someone that you always throw the, throw the ball to, but I thought they needed to do a better job getting him the ball in the fourth quarter. And then Trey just wasn't good enough in the fourth. He missed a couple of flo- missed a couple of floaters. It's not, it's not all, all on him, but we've seen now where it's hard for the Hawks to win if he's not going to be playing at a high level offensively, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, and this is a stat from Chris Kirscher at The Athletic that he tweeted out. 
But the Hawks are now 2-10 and 10 this season when Trey fails to score 20, 20, 25 points in a single game. Now, that's unfair in some ways because, um, you know, it's a tough ass to score 25 points a game, but he averages more than that, all that stuff. And it's probably a good indicator that, like, they need him so badly to be good that when he's not incredibly good, it's hard for them to win games. That's kind of indicative in a lot of ways. Also, elsewhere offensively, the Hawks just didn't shoot the ball away from three, as I said before. Collins and Gallinari were 6 of 7 from three. Everybody else was 5 of 26. So that tells you. Also, they only had 17 assists in this game, which after a season high the other night, which which is more than double, is a product of poor shot making. Hawks had a lot of open, good looks. Um, there were still some mess-ups in there too, and the offensive like flow was not incredible in this game. But again, the, the level of scoring per possession, which is all that really matters in the end, was perfectly fine. Actually, better than fine the, the entire game, even with poor shooting from three. So offensively, what are you going to do? In fact... This is the probably the stat of the stat com, com, combination of the entire game for me. Before we go to the defense, the Hawks committed only 11 turnovers, which is well below their average. That's a very good number. 11 doesn't seem like a small number. It's a small number offensively for the Hawks. They usually can turn the ball over more than that in the game. 11 turnovers, which is good. They won the rebounding battle on both ends of the floor. They got more offensive rebounds and more defensive rebounds on a percentage basis than the Knicks did. They took more free throws than the Knicks did. So those are three things: turnovers. Rebounds, free throw rate. Those are three of the four factors. The Hawks won all three of those. Again, the Hawks did, those are three very important areas. The Hawks won all three of them, and they lost by 11. And that essentially means that the shooting disparity was so bad that the Hawks lost by 11 in a game where they dominated the stat sheet in every other way other than shooting. So it's just kind of indicative. It's one of those things. But honestly, if you had told me coming into the game, I'm going to do a few of these uh, hypothetical scenarios, but this is the first one I'll do on the, on the podcast. If you told me coming into the game, the Hawks would win turnover battle, rebounding battle, and free throw battle, they are probably like a 90% favorite to win the game with all three of those, and they just lost the game. So, there you go. Now, defensively. Um, obviously, it was a mess in terms of the stats. The Knicks shot 42 of 83 from the floor. That is quite good. 17 of 34 from three. That is insane. And then 22 of 27 from the free throw line. They had a 65% true shooting. They had nine turnovers. So that's the one thing that the Hawks probably could have done better is force turnovers. Um, And they don't do that incredibly well this year overall anyway. So that's definitely a knock on their defense. And make no mistake, there were some breakdowns. As I mentioned a couple of them during the game flow portion of the podcast, but it wasn't as if if the Hawks were awesome defensively in this game. I'm not going to try to say that by any means. They they were not great defensively. With that said, you know, the shot making here from a team that is not known for its shot making. The Knicks are a bad shooting team. And they're also a team that shoots very few threes. And, uh, you know, the numbers speak for themselves. So it was the Knicks season high for threes with 17, almost double what they're at, what, what they average from three. It was Julius Randle's career high with seven threes. He was one, he was one point short of his career high in points as well. And the Knicks only scored 34 points in the paint in this game. For contrast, the Hawks scored 42 points in the paint. And, that's not like the greatest stat in the world, but the Knicks are a team that is pretty reliant on interior scoring. In fact, the Knicks were sixth in the NBA in the percentage of points that, that they score in the paint. They score about 46% of their points in the paint this year, which is, again, sixth most in the league. They do rely on the rim. They rely on, they rely on the paint and interior scoring versus three-point shooting. And that, that makes sense. If you look at their, pro, at, their, at their profile, they don't take a lot of threes. They don't make a lot of threes. They rely on the rim. And their best player, Randall, is usually a guy who thrives around the rim. Same with Barrett. In this game, the Knicks only scored 27.6% of their points around the paint. 
So it's uh, a lot less. It's because they made so many shots, uh, so many jumpers in this game. Again, this is the second hypothetical that I will say. Um, if the Hawks, if you told me before the game, the Hawks would have eight more points in the paint than the Knicks, they would have been a massive favorite because the Hawks do score a lot of points in the paint between Capella and Collins and Trey, but they're not as reliant by any means on paint scoring as the Knicks are. And uh, yeah, there you have it. So I'm not going to do the whole thing again. I know people get sick of me saying this. In this game, it's it's fairly easy. It's I know it's hard to separate sometimes like the frustration level of this of loss after loss for the Hawks to and I get that. I acknowledge it on the Saturday's podcast. If you wouldn't listen to Saturday's podcast, I talked about this a lot in that in that space too. Um, there is blame to go around. It, there is blame on the coaching staff. There is blame on the players and the co- the organization and all that stuff. In this game, if you if you just try to separate it out just for a minute, just try to forget these circumstances and all that. If you just watch this game alone. And watch the film of this game. It is funny to see the Knicks shoot the way they did, especially Randall. Um, Randall and Barrett was three for three as well, which is like, yeah, there was at least one that was wide open, but he doesn't usually make all of them. Um, regardless, this is a make or miss league game, and I know that's like a very overwrought term, and it's sometimes overused even by me. But in this game, it's like every single number that I just pointed to points to the fact that the Knicks just made shots and the Hawks didn't make a lot of shots in this game. And uh, there you have it. It's frustrating. Uh, you could certainly argue, and I probably would argue, that the Hawks did some things in the fourth quarter that I didn't love, especially in this, I won't say the fourth quarter, the entire like last quarter and a half. You know, not getting Collins involved enough. Um, Trey didn't have his floater. That was a huge that was a huge factor in this game. That He missed just a, a bunch of bunnies that he normally makes. Herter was brutal in terms of his shooting in this game. That's a guy that even, you know, Pierce talked about this after the game, and I would echo this. Herter's a guy that you want taking open threes. Like, he didn't have them. He wasn't making them in this game. But what you don't want is to start telling Kevin Herter not to shoot. He's, you know, if not your best shooter, he's one of your best shooters. So... I don't know. Lots of things to get to, but it was a uh, it was a def- it was a defensive loss to be sure. The Knicks deserve credit for making all the shots they made, but um, you know, one of those nights in a lot of ways for Atlanta, and it's uh, been a lot of those recently. So I get the frustration. Like I said at the top of the podcast, this is a uh, it's a bad loss. It's not like a you know, in a vacuum again. Not like not a bad loss. It's a, it's a coin flip game. The Knicks are better than uh, their record. No, not not than the record. The Knicks have been better than they have been in the in the recent past, I should say. And losing in New York is not some great shame this year in the way that it might have been previously. But when it's the seventh loss in eight games, I totally get sort of things boiling over. And the Hawks played decently for a lot of this game and just did not uh, put it together down the stretch. And it's frustrating to be 11-16 given all their uh, talent, especially they have, you know, they've had Collins, Capella, and Trey for most of the season. I still think the absences of Herder and Bogdan, I'm sorry, Hunter and Bogdanovich are huge, but they can't fix everything. And there you have it. Okay, we will talk about the individual stuff from this game momentarily, but first, a word from our sponsors, and the first of which is betonline.ag. Football may be over, but the NBA, college basketball, the NHL, and many more sports are in full swing, but there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action, and you can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL, baseball is on the way in the near future and all kinds of additional angles to handicap, including awards, TV shows, and reality TV. In fact, there are dozens of real-time updated props on almost anything you can imagine, and BetOnline has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds, including future bets, if you want to look way ahead. It is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action and visit the website or use a mobile device to sign up today. 
Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive that 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for 50% welcome bonus at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we'll dive in here to the individual players, and then one bit of news at the end of the podcast. Um, the Hawks did have some balanced scoring in this game. As I said before, the offense was not the problem in this spot. They had six guys score double figures, plus Herter had eight, so they had uh, some balance. Um, Okongwu got the first minutes in the first half at backup center. He played three minutes. He got a rebound. He was minus two. That was his entire contribution. He didn't look like completely terrible, but didn't do really anything either. That's one of those things where, as I played the audio for you over the weekend, Pierce doesn't really have a backup center right now. He's kind of acknowledged that. So they used, they used Fran on Saturday. They went back to Okongwu today. All things equal, I would default to Okongwu, but I'm totally fine with it being one step in the first half. If they're in a close game and just kind of lean on Capella, Collins, Gallinari in the second half, that makes sense to me right now with how short they are. Anyway, Skylar Mays played very well uh, at times in this game. He had 11 points, three rebounds, and an assist. It is very weird, and I kind of, I'm not saying this in a derogatory way at all. The Hawks had an eight man rotation in their 27th game of the season, and Skylar Mays was one of the eight, which is wild. Like coming into the season, he was probably number 16 on their roster. And he was one of the his one of the eight in this game. So uh that's credit to him, number one. It's also just tells you about the five absences on the perimeter. But he played well. I mean, they went to him as a backup point guard for most of uh Trey's off minutes, if not all of Trey, Trey's off minutes. And uh he made shots. He made four out of eight from the floor, one of three from three. He wasn't perfect. He had a couple of uh, rookie mistakes. Even as an older rookie, he still has he's still prone to those, but I thought he played reasonably well and gave them what they needed in this game and they used him over good one. That's not that's noteworthy to me. Um, Solomon Hill missed two big threes. He was not a great game for Solomon. I didn't think he had one kind of sneaky dunk in the first half, which was, uh, out of nowhere and kind of wild on the baseline. But other than that, uh, not, not his best. I know I like Solomon Hill, but he was not particularly effective. I don't think in this game. Gallinari is an interesting one. Gallinari had 16 points in 26 minutes. He was efficient from the floor. He made three of his four threes. He was one of the only guys that shoot the shot wall in this game. As I said before, six of seven from Collins and Capella, uh, sorry, Collins and Gallinari combined from the floor. And he got to the line seven times. So offensively, he t- you know he scored 16 points on what eight shooting uh, nine shooting possessions. You can't argue with that efficiency. But he had five fouls. He was minus 14, which is tied for the worst on the team. And you know offensively, he gave them something for sure. But defensively, it is it continues to be very hard for them to scheme around Gallinari. It's not only him, but man, it is tough right now. Uh, he has to be great offensively to earn uh, positivity. And uh, he was in this game, but even then, it's kind of telling that they were still struggling with him on the court. So I don't know what the solution is, but offensively, at least he made shots. They needed some shot, they needed some shot making in this game, and he gave it to them. Um, to the starters, the two wings were struggling in this spot. Kerr and Reddish combined to shoot 6 of 24 from the floor. That's tough, especially right now when you don't have your other two wings. So the only guys that you would say flat out are NBA rotation caliber wings that, that the Hawks have tonight. Combined to shoot 6-24 from the floor. And 3 of 17 from 3. It's just hard to win when that happens. I mean, I'm not even going to pile on. Like, I think Herter's played well this year, but this is not his best. Obviously, he missed a ton of shots in this game. Cam had a couple of flashes, got to the line a few times. But you just cannot afford for those guys to shoot as poorly as they did. And sometimes it's make or miss, and it was a lot of misses for those two guys. And for the most part, especially the Herter shots, you, you'll live with them. I mean, one of them died from 3. I think maybe one, of maybe, one maybe two of those were bad shots. But... If he's open, you got to have him shoot. And Reddish had a couple of forced ones, but he was two of eight. What are you going to do? Uh, I should add, Herter had five assists. Kim had two blocked shots. So there was some stuff that they did along the way, but um, both in the negative in terms of the plus minus there as well. 
And then the three guys who were the standouts on every night basis, we'll start with Capella. He had 15 points and a game-high 18 rebounds. He was pretty good. I don't think he was fantastic. Um, he was pretty good. The rebounding is obviously important. He was pulling down his rebounds in the way that he has uh, pretty much all season long. Had two blocks as well and a steal. I think defensively he was pretty solid. Offensively, missed a couple of bunnies, but still was, a, was efficient enough. So uh, no complaints there by the way that Clint, play, that Clint played. And they went to him more in the fourth quarter in this game. After I complained and thought it was a poor move to go with Gallinari in the fourth quarter on Saturday, they went with more Capella in this game. It didn't fix everything, quite obviously, but um, you know, Capella's not going to stop you from giving up threes. Uh, he's there to fix the rim, and that, the rim was not the problem in this game. Collins played well, 19 points, four rebounds, had a steal and a block. He didn't. He, he played 30 minutes, which is interesting. He had some foul trouble at one point, and they went to Gallinari a little bit more uh, at times in this game. But like I said, only one shot attempt in the fourth quarter, and it was kind of late and didn't matter. So I would like to see him integrated more. I think defensively he did okay. It wasn't like Randall was, was like torching him individually, but uh, you know, not his best, not his worst. He was okay, and he made he made all three threes. So somebody had to make somebody had to make shots along the way. And then Trey Young, twenty three points, eight assists, did have three rebounds, a steal, four fouls. He was six of nineteen from the floor, one of four from three, and ten of twelve. Yes, 10 of 12 from the free throw line. Um, you know, Trey is very prolific from the line. It's one of those things, though, where he had 60 points in the first half, which is worth pointing out, and then he struggled after the half. And I don't want to put too much on him because it's not all on him ever. It's not, I don't want to, I don't want to be that way with anything, but he needs to be better than that for the Hawks offensively in the second half. So I'm looking at the numbers now, the second half numbers only for the Hawks. He was 3 of 10 from the floor, 0 of 2 from 3. One, two from the free throw line. Did have four assists, but only seven points after halftime. You know, it wasn't a disaster, but he wasn't his normal dominant self. The floater, like, even I think he even said it after the game that the floater, he just couldn't get a floater to go in. And that wasn't the only problem, but that was a big problem. Trey needs that floater to go in. He made two at one point in a row, and that was about it for that shot for the whole game. He probably missed five, six, seven floaters, and uh, those are rough. That's not it necessarily. He did, he did, he did attempt more threes in this game. Obviously, he, did, he famously didn't take one. Uh, the other night, he was one of four, so at least a weapon of some cor- of some sort there. But I still want to see him take more threes. It's going to be, I know people complain sometimes about him taking the 30-footers, but he needs to get up more threes, not less, in general right now. So um, not his best defensively either. He's been pretty good this year, I think, at least, at least according to his baseline. But tonight was a pretty shaky one from Trey defensively. So anyway, I, I, don't, I don't think he was bad, bad, but it was not his best by any means. And the Hawks needed everything they could get from all these guys. So... I don't know. Looking ahead, uh, I guess we should wrap up this game first. Um, this is, again, like I said, a pretty bad loss, given the way that all that it all went down, but it's more because of the context. If you take this game out alone, it's not really that bad of a loss. It's totally fine, uh, given the shooting and all that stuff, but when you tack it on to the already losing one, six of the last seven before this, seven of eight after this one, and Atlanta is now looking up in the standings of a lot of teams that they're probably more talented than. So we will leave it there for now. If you have questions, please feel free to ask me at BT Roland. Last thing. There was one piece of semi-news from Monday. Shams Sharania piggybacked on the St. Mamic report from earlier in the week on The Athletic. And the money quote here from Shams was, quote, Atlanta has so far sought a high first-round lottery-level pick if it is to move John Collins, according to sources. End quote. So, uh, first, a leak of this kind of thing about, the, about what the Hawks might be looking for could come from anywhere. It does not mean that they're going to get this. It doesn't mean that they're going to trade him for sure. Just keep your guard up on that stuff. It's just a little bit of context here. Could, could it come from from anywhere? Could it come from another, from another team? Etc. Hawks fans were upset about that potential price, but honestly, if you're being if we're being candid now, if the Hawks were to trade him, and again, that's a huge if. If the Hawks were going to trade him, 
if they got a Lowry pick for him, that wouldn't be the worst value in the world for a half season of Collins. Again, I'm on record as saying I would not trade Collins unless they decide he's not that they're not going to pay him, which is the big factor here. That's probably the decision they have to make first and foremost. But if they did that and put him on the market, um, you can't ask for too much more than a lottery pick, I don't think. Um, but anyway, that wouldn't help them now, obviously. Um, again, the bigger conundrum was whether to trade him at all, which I discussed extensively last week. But um, just as a refresher here, the big decision that the Hawks have to make and I stress this, they have to make this, in my view, is do we want to pay John Collins nine figures this summer? If the answer is no, they need to try to trade him. If the answer is yes, then just take him off the market unless somebody blows you away and be ready to match any offer. So that's the big decision. I won't make it for them. I think John Collins is really good, uh, and that's where I'll leave it for now. But that's the only reason why you would trade him, I'll say this. The only reason only reason why you would trade John Collins is if you had decided, again, decided to not match any offer on him this summer. So there you go. Um, a trade of Collins only makes the team worse, probably, in season, which is important to point out. That We, we talked about that, that last week as well. And by the way, Sam Amick, who did the original reporting, tweeted again on Monday that according to a rival executive, the Hawks asked for a lottery pick or a, quote, all-NBA-type player, end quote. Now, that's interesting, because <laughs> what I said before basically was, there are two paths that I can see to a John Collins trade. One of them is John as a big piece or maybe the centerpiece of a trade for a star. Um, I don't know who that star is other than like maybe Bradley Beal is available. But other than that, that's the one path. And the other one is for a future-facing package, which basically means lottery picks or young players. So that kind of makes sense, what Sam reported there. So those are the two paths. Again, not required to trade him by any means. I probably wouldn't unless somebody bowls me over. But there you go. It only makes sense to trade him if the Hawks do not want to pay him. That is the big decision. Um, in terms of teams that w- might want to do this, the Warriors are the one that I got asked about a lot today because they have the Minnesota pick. They do make a lot of sense in some ways because the other thing about, uh, about the Hawks trading him for a pick is that the team trading for John Collins probably wants to be good this year because otherwise, why are you doing an in-season trade for John Collins? Or they're over the cap. Those are the two, those are the two t- kinds of teams that might trade in-season for John are teams that are trying to kind of push in for now, like maybe Boston or whatever, or teams that are trying to uh, get an asset to resign and go over the cap this summer. Um, that would qualify for the Warriors in both counts um, because they have no cap space and they also have that, that Wolves pick, which is, a, which is a very, very good asset because they are brutal, the Wolves are. So that's one to circle. But at any rate, I think it's just it's too early for like freak-out discussions on this. Um, it was it was new reporting, so I, I wanted to always say it out loud. But, you know, we'll see what happens on this front if more news comes out if there's actually a full-blown rumor at at some point we will talk about it on this podcast but if you want more i talked about this extensively on a couple of the last shows last week so you can find those in the archive okay from here the hawks go to boston for two games on wednesday and friday that's tough boston is good uh boston right now though is struggling they've lost four of the last five They've been playing without Marcus Smart, who is one of their better players, and some of their reserves, some of their supporting pieces have not been good this year. On the flip side, they have two very, very, very good wing players in Jalen Brown, a local product, of course, and Jason Tatum, and the Hawks do not have their guys to match up. Obviously, Reddish will have one of those guys, but it's not a great matchup for the Hawks right now to have to face off against a team that has two great wings on the squad. So they play Wednesday and Friday, both in Boston, same venue, same team. If you get a split out of that, that'd be a win, quite honestly. You want to win both, of course, but if the Hawks could just not... The big, honestly, my goal, just being candid, would be not to lose both. If I'm the Hawks, one and one is more than enough from this stretch on the road against Boston, and Boston is pretty good. 
But then you come over to Denver on Sunday, and Denver is obviously pretty good as well. So not, a, not an easy stretch for this Hawks team, and the schedule is what it is. Uh, it's tough to be positive right now about the Hawks. I totally get that. If you're looking for cogent analysis, I will try to give you that. Try to give you that. I've uh, been trying to embrace sort of the pushback on some levels and uh, think back to my fan brain at one point and know how frustrated I would be as well. So I get it on all sides. It's been a maddening stretch for Atlanta, but hopefully it will they will come out the other side in the near future. And if anything happens in the next couple of days, we'll talk about it. Um, I will not promise a podcast between, between now and the game on Wednesday. I'm not sure what, what my Tuesday evening holds, but uh, please subscribe to the podcast. We will be here at least a couple more times this week, as we always are, talking about the Hawks and Celtics on Wednesday and Friday, and maybe even more beyond that. So please subscribe. Please tell your friends about the show, and we'll see you all next time.